Connors T, how are ye? My name is Serica, and I'm one of the co-founders of Candlelit Tales. We tell stories from Irish mythology to original music. In this episode, you'll be hearing our discussion about the four-part epic Battle of Ventry, which was live-streamed on YouTube. We had some slight issues with the Wi-Fi, so apologies for that. We do live-stream these conversations on YouTube, talking about the stories we tell and what they mean to us, so if you'd like to be part of that conversation and chip in with your ideas and your observations, subscribe to our YouTube channel and join us on Sundays at 7pm UTC. And if you've missed seeing our faces, you can pop over to YouTube now and watch this conversation there. Follow us on our social media to be reminded of our next live-streamed conversation or event, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to make sure you don't miss anything. You can find out more about us on our website candlelittales.ie, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at candlelittales, and for videos and live streams, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Liking and subscribing to our channels really helps us grow and get these stories out to more people. And if you're able to give us more direct support, you can chip in a few bob at patreon.com forward slash candlelittales or make a one-time donation through the PayPal button on our website. And now, on to the conversation. Hello everybody. That was just me testing the stream this afternoon, but apparently YouTube just put it out first before the rest of it. I didn't know they were going to do that. Sorry. Slauncha, welcome to a Candle Tales podcast, a live stream of the post-show chat for the Battle of Entry. Four-part episode warning, there will be spoilers in this chat. So if you haven't actually listened to the four-part episode that we put together, I recommend listening to those first before listening to this. But if you're live, hello and welcome. If you're listening to, back on this, hello and welcome. Thanks for listening in. We are very happy to be talking about the Battle of Ventry. As always, we want to just give a quick shout out to our Patreon supporters who've helped put this together. And they went to patreon.com forward slash candletales to throw us a few bob. And it helped us put this whole thing together. And now, sound lads. Sound bunch of lads. Now, we're going to be talking about this, and Sorica, you're going to be keeping an eye on the comments or questions as they're coming in. Yes. Hello, yeah. Jasper. <laughs> Great. Because uh, I'm going to be trying to feel this with loads to go through, and there's so many pieces of this puzzle to pick apart. I want to start basically straight into it, because the Battle of Entry, we've all, if you have listened to it, it was immense. There was a lot to it. It was the first big saga that we got to, from the Fianna perspective. We've looked at the Kelt Ulster Cycle epics and we got into in as much detail as we've gotten into Ulster Cycle epics like the Thorn. But we took the inspiration initially from luckily uh, Keir Jameson, shout out to her. She gave me a present of uh, the book by Egon Omarthik and Don Love Rick and it was a bilingual book. We read that, we loved the story, and we wanted to recreate it and retell it. Isn't that right? Essentially, yeah. Uh, it's a gorgeous book, by the way. Anyone who has like, enjoyed this myth, I highly recommend you pick up a copy because it's like uh, all proceeds go to protecting the coastline. I can't remember exactly what the charity was. I meant to look it up this afternoon. Didn't. But it's beautiful. 
it's a really beautiful book. It's the, the illustrations are extraordinary and you do have like parallel text in English and Irish. So even if you have like a little bit of Irish or you're curious about it or you want to get a little bit better at it, you get that nice little like you can see how the sentences are translated and, uh, you know, the little turns of phrase. Uh, so it's an absolutely gorgeous book that they put together. Um, and we just, yeah, we started with that and we each kind of read through it a couple of times. And then, because the initial plan, when this initially was given to you, Aaron, um, our initial plan was to make this a live show. Yes. This was going, like, this was given, or we got this before, you know, coronavirus and the lockdown and the, the apocalypse, the slowly unfolding apocalypse that we're still in. <laughs> and where we were going to do it was down in Fela Nabiotina, which yeah. is on the Dingle Peninsula. So we were really looking forward to going down there. And lo- luckily that our, that beautiful festival even like was able to give a pittance payment to every one of the uh, artists that were supposed to perform there and one of the many festivals that this summer saw didn't get to see unfortunately and as we saw no live events this summer we were in lockdown we thought right we have a chance to deep dive into this myth and tell it like we haven't told before and on a podcast and so yeah and that was the different thing that we were kind of trying to figure out okay how can we do something that feels spectacular and epic in the podcast format? Because I know my favorite podcasts are one where you feel like, you know, someone's talking into your ear and it feels very kind of immediate and close. And like, you know, these, these post-show chats being in a similar vein where it's you and me talking to each other and talking to you guys as you're listening and as you're writing in. Um, so it's like you're, you know, you're, I like, I like the ones where I feel like I'm the third person in the conversation. Um, Absolutely. And we got some lovely feedback the, from people as, as it was going. But, we're, but I guess, what my point being that like, that's a different, that's a very intimate style of podcast. And this big battle of entry epic was, was changing the vibe completely into something like more like one of our big live shows. Cause we already know that live. Like we know how to do a storytelling for five people or 10 people versus a storytelling for 300 people. And it's different. So it was kind of an, an attempt to, to translate the cozy vibe of this podcast into a bigger feeling um, thing, spectacle, if you like. Or at least that was how I saw it anyway. Certainly. Well, it was also a chance to give Oshin, uh, our producer, a chance to really bring it into a different sound as well. Uh, soundscape, would use Foley, be more subtle with the music and kind of orchestrate it in his own way. And I'm sure he'll have a lot to talk about and, and te- tell us how he's developed that at a later date when we get talking about how he puts music together and how he's developed that. Because this was a, we were making up as we went along. Yeah, and we have, um, I've been having a little bit of a fight with technology, so it's it's been late going up, but we have some of our rehearsal recordings are up on Patreon, hopefully at this point. Uh, they should have been up about a month ago, but I had a fight with technology. Um, but yeah, like, you know, if people are kind of curious about how we developed it and how we, how we actually brought it to fruition, you can, you can see 
and you'll soon be able to read transcripts of some of the phone calls between myself and Aaron where we're just hammering out details of like how we actually got there to where this is um which I think was a kind of a it was a it was an interesting process I mean it's it's one that we've done before except much more over the phone and over zoom than we're used yeah. to yeah it was interesting to have not to be able to do it in person and not to have musicians there to like to play along with us and to come up with the music organically. So it was a different beast and it is a very different beast now after finishing it. But I guess the first point we want, I want to talk about is how we streamlined the story, the narrative from taking from a book and something that you can get a lot of detail and a lot of glossary of every character and the detail in the illustrations of the book, um, uh, you know, Kion from Troll that we mentioned, it are beautiful and that you get much more time with it. And of course, we did a four part episode, but it's still, you have to clip along. Each episode is on average about half an hour. So, oh, a lot. you know, and we had to cut out loads. So we had to kind of streamline it. And one of the biggest ways we did that, will you mention Con Critter? Yeah, well, like, I still think that the, the pivotal rehearsal that we had and that it was the one that wrecked everybody's head and it was the one that took hours was the one where I went through and I listed out all the names of every single character that appears in the book. And then we went through and we read through it all with a kind of a rule in mind of like everybody who turned, because as, as is the case with a lot of, you know, mythic texts, you don't get introduced to the characters before they just show up to do stuff. So it can be really hard to track who everybody is. So we kind of had a rule of like, all right, the only people that we're going to mention at the end of this podcast or at the end of this show are people that we've introduced at the top of the show. So we had to do this whole process of going through all of the characters and figuring out, okay, this guy needs to be introduced here. This person needs to be introduced up here. This person who doesn't come into it until like the end of episode three needs to be established way up here at the top of it. And through that process, one of the things that we did was we amalgamated two characters, um, Con Crither and Gloss McDrown, who both appear in episode one. And I think it was your idea, actually, Aaron, to keep things like grounded in their perspective all the way through it because we kind of needed the. You know, I often think with a with an epic story like this, you need a hobbit. You need somebody mm-hmm. ground level that you can see it through so that it's not just so big and crazy that it's overwhelming and kind of detached. Actually, the hobbit, a, a hobbit is a great idea or metaphor too, because I guess you wanted someone on the ground level, like you said, but somebody who is a bit of a rookie and you literally just follow. And I guess one of, one of the, you know, critiques of, of when I read and listened to the story again and again, was the fact that you get a character mentioned and they disappear, or you get this big thing said, like Khan Critter is the rookie that is introduced at the start. He sees the invasion come in and he's given this gift of a healing well, and then you don't basically hear from him again. You do, you and I was just, I just kept on becoming more and more fascinated by what it would be like to sit and watch a war unfold that you're taking part in and every night getting healed to re-go back into the fight. And the psychological trauma and all of that, because you're not getting to die, you're, and you're seeing everyone else die. And he was gifted the chance of having one other friend to come into the healing pool. And of course, 
we just joined a dot and made that glass a crown. Yeah. Because gloss McDrowan, like, you know, things that are in the original text, like gloss and con do realize they're cousins. And that is what makes gloss switch sides again. But like the ending of the episode was where we amalgamated the characters because at the end of the episode, uh, spoilers, <laughs> spoilers for a thousand year old myth. Um, at the end of the episode, of course, somebody grabs up the, the King of the World's crown and passes it to his son and then passes it to the warrior of Aramuk. And then somebody else drags Dara Dunn out to uh, the ship to escape with him. And then a warrior that we've never met before is the one who goes out and drowns him in the waves. And we thought how much more interesting this will be if we keep those roles as Gloss and Con and keep those as our, yeah. as our main characters because then they actually have a whole arc. They're not just introduced and then dropped. Yeah, and it was more interesting to like, give, to give the human perspective, to give a human story of them be, beginning in it, going through it and, and ending. Because oftentimes the big myths can be this big, huge thing. It's the kings and the queens of fighting and all these guys getting killed. You don't really get, get to hear that story. And often it's in the middle, but you don't get to really get a human story. That's kind of cinematic. So we're, we tried to do that anyway. So maybe that, that, maybe that worked. That was the end. Um, um, and I think it, you know, it is a thing with, with mythology that it can feel removed like it's all happening to people who are bigger like larger than life and therefore uh, there can be a little bit of an emotional disconnect sometimes sometimes there isn't um but but i think with a big epic like this especially with so many characters in it it was kind of important we felt it was important yeah, yeah. uh hobbits hobbits is important hobbits is, hobbits is. Hobbits the other is big thing that we made the, a change with was well not a change but we we refocused the lens a little bit and you know the the hall where the where dara dunn introduces his armies is one of the great scenes and you get all of these armies and the cat heads and the dog heads are mentioned and then they they come up as like you know one of the other armies that come out of the beach and they fight with the two of the dad and it's kind of like Oh, good, the two that Adam came in. So, you know, I, and previously we, we talked about another story where cathead monsters come against the Fianna, and it's this vicious uh, thing that it's a description of these monsters coming out that have ferocity like animals, but yet a mental capacity of humans. And so we built that up to be the big dragon that would yeah. be released, and that became the big dramatic kind of turn for us as well because we needed something to hinge the t dramatic tension and I, I, I felt I think we both felt there was something not kind of there it was, well, there was all a bit samey there yeah and that's that's the 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 thing that we were really trying to avoid in all of this was from a dramatic point of view getting into something that felt repetitious yeah um because it 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 kind of can start to feel repetitious. Because again, these kinds of stories, I, I think of this probably a little bit like the tone. Uh, Maria just wrote in to say, we did some great strange voices. Thank you. Uh, cat heads and dog heads being two of the big ones. Um, and, but they yeah, the, the, um, we really didn't want it to become repetitious because I think when these stories are usually, or would have been told, in my mind anyway, you wouldn't sit down and tell the Battle of Ventriol in one evening. It would probably be something you'd tell over multiple nights or multiple days. And like, in that case, it doesn't become repetitious to have a battle every 
time you tell the story because it's it's a it's an episode you know you think of you think of episodic television as it used to be before we had streaming where everything is like one 17 hour film um you know you had you had an episode there's little episodes where like every week there's a new monster and people go out and fight it and then that's like the end and then there's a new one the next week and yeah if you watch 10 of them in a row it's crazy repetitious but if you're if you're watching it over a period of time it isn't so i think that was something as well where we're taking something that's essentially episodic and trying to make it into one whole arc yeah and that meant finding the variation and finding the differences yeah and i think like one of the big things that we focused on was to make that big dramatic making them as big big as bad as fierce as in order to then basically put it in the back pocket of Dara Dunn, the king of the world, because he was, and you can had a lot of psychological, um, I don't know, I, I think you had his, had this whole Machiavellian uh, relationship in with this character that you I, built up in his head. I, yeah. <laughs> that you kind of went off and like, if you were the king of the world and you had this monstrous army, what would it be like? How kind of brilliant also how, how he seemed to i don't know sacrifice a part of himself that was a young warrior in having these monsters that could destroy everything you went off the deep end on that one can you tell me a bit about it i sure <laughs> did i had a lot of i gotta say i had a lot of fun there were several things with this that i feel like i had a lot of fun like writing some speeches and going real deep into some character stuff that i don't usually get to do in in retellings because i'm trying to stay like faithful to the source material or whatever the, else but like the, the speeches are one of my favorite parts but we'll get to them at the end though. okay we're gonna get to them yeah. at the end right but like dara dunn the dara dunn character was part of it because we did we had decided at the beginning and i mean you did a similar thing with Sean, which i'll ask you about in a second like we had done a thing at the beginning where we kind of decided an easy enough way to to split the narration was for me to mostly tell the king of the world stuff and you to mostly tell the Fiona stuff. And actually that we stuck with that pretty consistently. We kind of thought at the beginning, we probably wouldn't, it would fall apart at some point. Um, but yeah, that resulted in me getting really into the idea of this character, Dara Dunn, who is the king of the world, who decides to conquer Ireland kind of out of a fit of peak like it he doesn't need to except that it's annoying that somebody somewhere doesn't consider him the king of the world and who then gets stuck on this beach on this island that should have folded long ago that is just not folding and i i think i kind of like i start because i started thinking about all kinds of things like the sort of the sunk cost fallacy where you're like, well, I put so much into this, I can't possibly stop now. And then also the whole thing of like absolute power corrupts and like the idea of a doomsday weapon, I think was what was in my mind when I was thinking of the cat heads and the dog heads, because they're not, you know, there's, they, they are these inhuman uh, creatures that would just destroy everything. Uh, that have no kind of, you know, I'm thinking of the kind of warfare of the town where it's single combat and it's very much to do with a kind of an honor code. These are not warriors that respect anything to do with that. These are like, you know, weapons of mass destruction in a way. 
that can be unleashed. And I think, I think it is true of anyone. And you think of modern warfare and modern weaponry and modern, you know, chemical agents. There is a there is a cost to unleashing this stuff, you know. And I do think it's a it's a on some level it's a spiritual cost because whoever you are and whoever you're deploying it against, um, there's, there's a toll that that has to take on a person. So I did, I got really into the idea of like, if, if a, if a king like that had a magical army that could defeat anybody, what is, what does that do to you as a person? Mm. Uh, how does that change you? And how does that like, wear on you so i then got to make him go like you know a little bit crazy and obsessive sitting there watching sand <laughs> yeah that, and, and one of my actually i like um, that sequence <clears throat> but again i guess with fion mccool because you you were to, you were kind of because we were really kind of looking at the idea of Fionn mccool as well and him as a strategist and you had watched, uh, was it the Michael Jordan? <laughs> Michael Jordan. Yeah, I just watched the Michael Jordan documentary and like talk about a guy who's brilliant and leads from the foot, leads by example, pushes his team to do the best they can possibly do, doesn't take any fucking excuses and just goes right at it. And it doesn't, and no, none of his teammates describe him as a nice guy, but mm. they all did better because of him. And he he developed his own like leadership and that was just kind of me kind of going oh light bulb moment for Fiona cool oh yeah. he's he doesn't have friends in the Fianna he's a foster father to a lot of them and he's a father figure but he's he leads asleep and he makes he makes the tough decisions but he also leads by example and he pushes for their best and that was kind of what I really enjoyed about writing the kind of the first kind of level you know, of introductions of how they ran and how strong he was and how he never gave up and always pushed himself. And there are little introductions to them, to the other characters that would land in there. And I guess the the loyalty that he was shown, that he won and he deserved as a result of his leadership and his fairness and his authority and what his word was, no, everyone knew that the honor code of the Fianna was strength of liberty of heart and actions because there was there was no way would ever break that. And when he led by such example, everyone followed suit. And it was it was interesting to get into the heads, the mindset the head of of a character like that who is, is so such a burden and the burden of brilliance and as well which is kind of the the nature of this island that we live on and the politics that has always governed it being fractured and not very streamlined is that he's not friends with the king the king mm. the high king of Ireland doesn't like him and so mm -hmm. we set up the very start that because the high king doesn't like him he, the, the, the armies of ireland don't go to face the armies of the king of the world which it's is a really Fianna. kind of interesting thing in terms of like you know the 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 idea of, you know, there's there's some dispute as to whether there was ever a high king of Tara. I think it's, it's, there's no there's no actual evidence that there was, uh, yeah, yeah. even though it's in our mythology. And certainly, if there was, the high king didn't control the rest of the country. Uh, if there was such a role, it was not a, a, a person who held dominion over everyone else. Um, 
it was it was a much you know it was a different kind of a of a cohesion being held there but like Ireland never really had that that sort of cohesion and like we kind of still don't you know people will often talk about their county before their country or their yeah, town still, before their county you know it's still, still, we're quite, still very tribal yeah it's a tribal mindset and I think it, it's like it's that kind of underdeveloped maybe um slightly less uh I guess a global mindset or a more um higher uh what's the phrase i'm looking for um i don't know you'll find it keep looking um, a higher level a higher level of consciousness is where like you know you break down the borders and you you see everyone as as, as equals and that's kind of what the fina kind of represents it's like there are no borders in the fina we are we are men and women of the land and we're defending what's right and just opposed to and that's the ideology of the fina opposed to yeah. and that's that's the ideal and a tribalhood yeah, that's the that's the ideal of the Fianna as as we kind of see them in this story is that they are they are the people who are transcending the tribal divides. They are the people who are, you know, because because it's part of the joining of the Fianna was to give up your family, yeah, and, and your possessions, you know, yeah. and your well, lodging and whatever you are farm. Like if you think about if you think about ancient Ireland and the Brehan Law. And the clan system, your family was it was your identity. It was who you were, way beyond possessions. Like it was your yeah. status, it was your identity, it was everything. And like if you committed a crime, it was your family who had to pay the fine for it. You know, and if you were if you were harmed, it was your family who would come and, and get justice for you. So like the clan system in Ireland was so, so strong. That's what the society was built on. And the Fianna and like, you know, a Fianna was a thing. There were lots of little Fianna's. Uh, the Fianna of mythology was like the Fianna of all Ireland. And it was, it was a kind of a, an escape valve for people who didn't fit in. It was a place for people to go, to like go and kind of have a slightly different way of living that was outside of this clan system. So you had this kind of, you had this kind of outlaw culture that was like running parallel. And then Fionn and the Fianna being like the, the example of the highest form of that. What, what that could be, which yes. was hugely like expansive, um, generous, welcoming, transcendent of political divisions and all those kind of good things. Now I'm sure there were plenty that were lots of bad things that were just some fucking thugs running amok and stealing your shit. But, but that's know. that's history versus mythology, I think, you know, and, I think and I think yeah, like amazing. the ideal of the Fianna rather than the actual the reality of the Fianna. <laughs> and that's why it's so interesting to tell these stories and and place real gravity and and reality into this ideal is because you want to make it as human and as realistic as possible while still understanding that it's this is an idol and a perfection or level of perfect leadership that is is possibly and has never been actually demonstrated yeah but if we can if we can make it feel real we can make it feel achievable exactly and and as human beings we are i think so constructed by the stories that we hear and the stories that we live by that like 
I think it's really, really important to actually have impossible to attain examples of leadership and fellowship and just being good people because it mm. makes us kind of go, oh yeah, actually, maybe we could be like that, you know? Speaking of leadership, so we, we've, we've talked about Fionn and, and Dara Dunn and the obvious dis, uh, differences. Are there similarities between the two that you found? This is what I think is very interesting because we've talked a little bit about this before. And if you think back on some of the stories we did just like kind of in the run-up to Ventry, like say the Lad of the Skins, um, Dara Dunn is a bit of a snake. Uh, he's, he's well able to kind of like, you know, the thing that he does to the sons of Garav in, in, I can't remember which episode it was, but like the way he sets them up to fail episode two the way he kind of sets them up to fail and and destroy themselves um like it's interesting because i think fion is is in some ways there's a little bit of a similarity there because fion mccool is also can be quite indirect in the way that he manages things like if you think back on the lad of the skins for example he has and we talked about that in the post show chat as well like he has this servant that he doesn't quite trust so he sends him on a quest that if he was a normal person would have ended up destroying him. But I think that the difference between them is very stark because Fionn gives people the opportunity. <laughs> Fionn holds the possibility that this person is going gonna, is gonna to do the thing and is mm. going to actually come back a hero. Dara Dunn absolutely sets people up to fail and fail hard and fail publicly. And he's also quite Machiavellian in the way that he does it, because it's kind of like, if you win, I win. And if you lose, I win. You know, like if you look at the, the Dollar Dorfa Sons of Garav whole sequence, which goes from like episode two to the start of episode three, he has this warrior who has like eight brothers who are all great warriors, who he's a little bit wary of. And what does he do? He sends them out without the best one. So they all get slaughtered by the Fianna. And then he sends out the, the last one as a champion to avenge his brothers. And he's delighted because like whatever the outcome, he wins because Dollar Dorfa didn't attack him. So like he's clear. He, either your man is going to get himself killed on the beach and it's... or he's going to kill the Fianna and it's win-win. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's removing a threat and also, um, I guess, what, what, what Fionn would do in that situation or seem to have done in that situation is unfortunately have to put people out, but they, they, they pick straws to face Dollardorfa. He's like, ah, oh, shit, this is going to be a hundred people die dead tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, draw lots. Yeah. You know, like, like contrast. Rather than go, okay, you, 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 and you, I don't like you. You go out first. And he puts his grandson in there. He puts his son in there. Like everybody is of equal kind of standing in, in drawing the lots there. So he doesn't, he doesn't sacrifice. And like with, with the character of Sean McCool being what it is, like he probably is drawing the lots himself because he doesn't probably do, draw the lots himself. There's, there's plenty of times when Oshie and her Oscar is like, what? Get out of this. This is not a place for you. And Fiona's like, no, no, no. If everyone else is doing it, I'm doing it. Um, yeah. And, and this is the one of the curious times where Fiona leads from, has, has to be governing from the back. And it, it, again, it was interesting because they go, oh, he doesn't like this, does he? You know, he doesn't. He wants to be up there. He wants to 
grab the ball like MJ and, and shoot the hoop, but he has to <laughs> he has to be at the back marshalling and giving the orders because everyone will listen to him and he's got the birds out and so he's and perhaps he's that bit older and that bit more mature and that bit past his prime that he's aware that this is his best place. And so as the smartest position to put himself in, he puts himself where he can actually deal the most damage yeah he's, he's strategist enough to know that he needs to be in that position but yeah. he, he's kind of warrior enough to hate it and I, I think that's also kind of an interesting thing with with like um dara dunn and Fionn. like when the when the two finally do take to the field it feels a little bit different yeah you know dara dunn is like well i guess i have to and Fionn is like and it, it, there's a pent up release of frustration. I, th- I think there is really for both of them. There's this like huge amount of tension that has built up where they just have been sitting on their hands for a year, and they finally yeah. split some heads open. And I love the fact again, like it's it's a it's a total trope in the world. He can't be killed by any weapon made by man. And of course, luckily. Fionn McCool was gifted weapons from the two of Aidanen and has magic fairy, lightning, poison, sword and spear. <laughs> like, of course he does. Yeah, it's very... Again, you can see where Tolkien got a lot of his stuff. Oh, man, can't you? It's, it's so Lord of the Ringsy, like No man can kill me, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, like, it's... it's, it's uh, as you say, it's a it's a kind of a trope. It is that thing of like the, the person who feels themselves to be invincible, which I think was also kind of an interesting one in terms of characterizing Daradon. Here's someone who genuinely believes that he cannot be killed, that he is invincible. And again, mm. I don't think that would have a good effect on you as a person. Not as a person, but because of their different leadership styles, they have two very different ways of having a vast, in one case, are a very loyal and quite small, but still big army. Like, so the contrast in their armies are, is huge as well. You yeah. have mercenaries essentially and loyal, hugely well-trained, uh, deadly bunch of lads. Um, well, I, I think it's as well, it's kind of like this direct, direct thing. Like you've got, cause Dara Dunn is the king of lots of other kings. So he's not actually directly commanding a lot of the army. He's commanding the kings who command the rest of it. So it's, it's more diffuse. It's more spread out. It's very centralized. Like he's still the one who's calling all of the shots. But like that movie does where they roll into Ventry Bay and he's like, whose bit of land should we decide this was when we were back in a war room 100 miles away? You? Okay, you go get us food. Like he's, because he, he's, he's not considering the welfare of all of these troops. Because as far as he's concerned, they're not his troops. He's, he's like the worst boss in the world. Where he's like, well, you're managing that branch, so you deal with your staff. It's nothing to do with me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Fuck that, you. that kind of person who's like, well, I am too busy and important for your petty shit, so you better just like find your own food. Um, and also supply the entire army because that's suddenly your job now even though i didn't tell you that when we were back in oh say spain where you <laughs> got food where we stopped where we were <laughs> yeah presumably that like, was a really nasty trick there with daradona right there was like, and, All right. but i think it's kind of it's one of those funny things because i think it's one of those things where it's like it's not even 
he's not even being deliberately malicious at that point. That's just how he runs things. He's not even trying to be a dick. He's not even singling out the King of Spain as like, it's not even a fuck you. It's just a like, well, I didn't think of this. So now it's your problem. You fix it. When the Fianna are called, when they're needed at the very start, Fionn gets a message that, you know, the King of the World is coming and he sends messengers to, to go look around every potential landing spot and all of the Fianna, all seven factions of them, they gather and they get ready and they prepare for a battle. Unquestionable, unquestioning. And yeah. they're ready to fight, they're ready to die, they're ready to put their lives on the line for the sake of protecting the the idea of Ireland, the idea of this land that is bountiful and abundant and giving and beautiful and all of the things that Ireland represents to all of them, they're willing to put their life on the line for because Fionn has led them so well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And like, I do think it is one of the funnier in a black comedy sense things that happens in the Battle of Entry. And this was also some of the bits that we cut out uh, for the sake of streamlining it a little bit, is how long it takes for the Fianna to get the message. Oh man. There's a succession of people who come after Concretor. Concretor is the first one. He falls asleep and then goes like, right, I have to redeem myself by attacking these people and possibly dying, instead of telling the Fianna that they're here. Yeah. But like, the, the strong man, Tashtaluk, Tashtaluk, yeah. The same fucking thing. And like, it is this hilarious thing that starts happening where people will show up in their ones and twos, go, oh, the army of the king of the world is here. Someone should tell Fionn McCool. But first I'm going to go kill someone. And get I have to, to, I have to redden my hands. Yeah, I have to redden my hands have because I can't run away. Couldn't turn my back. No, I have to go well, fight like, someone. It's almost like Concretor set a precedent. And so <laughs> yeah, yeah. came afterwards was like, well, you've already killed a king, so I'm going to have to go kill a king now before I can do anything else. It's just the rules. It's just the etiquette of the situation demands it, which is hilarious. Um, and yeah, so you have all these kind of episodes where people come in and have these like big one-on-one battles and then just like, finally, 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 someone goes, oh yeah, that entire army that we have, someone should... Go get them. That, that, that brings me on to what I wanted to ask you about of, of the characters we see in the Fina. So we, we get like very loosely introduced to kings, the king of Spain, the king of Norway, the king of Spain. We get no characterization in them. When we do get like over the saga, and I guess over this podcast, we've continued to increase our learning and our understanding of the characters that we've meet. Oscar, this brash you know, angry, brilliant warrior, Oshin, the kind of like, he's Great hilarious. But in Nutter, Quail to McGrown on the, sure. the thin grey man who's so fast and sleek, but represent kind of almost um, archetypes in a way, do they? Like, they fulfill a big role. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, they're, they're all kind of different, different kind of uh, versions of the warrior archetype. Um, and uh, yeah, you've the, the warrior archetype, but you also have the bard, the poet in Fergus Fionn Vale, or Oshin well, often fulfills that role. Oshin is a warrior poet, which means he's doing both. Fergus mm-hmm. Fionn Vale, I think, is a great kind of example of um, 
where Dungeons and Dragons gets their their inspiration from because he's a bard who's like his superpower is compliments. Um, like when he tells somebody how great they are, they go, "Oh yeah, I am great," and then they just like win the battle, um, which is all, like really good fun to kind of play with as well. Um, so like, yeah, it has a they, they're all. And, and as you say, we've kind of had time to characterize some of the Fianna in previous podcasts and in previous bits of work. Um, whereas everybody on Dara Dunn's side is, is new. Um, and that led us into a very fun level of giving the characters a voice for this yeah. particular podcast because we never really got to do that. And as an actor and a performer and uh, a glorified chai talker, you do love doing I, I an aspect more than. Well, I think there's still, like doing a voice is one thing, and and you know a lot for lots of kids shows you can just put on an accent and it's funny, you know, it's great and whatever. But I think we discussed this about having a subtle change in voice versus just any old accent, and finding rooting the character's voice in the body first. And we did we did lots of takes and and shout out to Ru Shea who did a great voice for Gone Critter and a couple of others and um. Neil Toner, Oshin Ryan as well, as well as um, Nelson Mendebele, who uh, all added voices as well as the two of us. And when we separated our narration voice into uh, character voices, we and I, I, you know, I threw you back like, no, that's not, that's, we got to redo that one. We got to redo that one. Because I, I could hear when it's a character voice or when it's, or, you know, I, I was getting nitty gritty the way, the same way Oshin would get nitty gritty about if the sound quality isn't right. I was getting nitty gritty. Yeah, I remember one there. notable occasion where you said, do that again. And I said, no, fuck off, I'm finished. <laughs> yeah, um, it was a working, working dialogue. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we were always very mutually respectful. Uh, <laughs> but there, there, there was a lot of fun in finding uh, voices for all these characters. And, and I realised, okay, Oshin needs to, to sound, you know, gruff and ready to... Fight. Conan Whale and, and Gull McMorna, the brothers, they seem to kind of cohabit this like uh, kind of not not quite arrogant, but very dismissive. They can't say a good word if a bad word can be said. Any any slight will go to them. Um any any time you have uh something kind of poetic, it was Fergus Van Vale finding a way to describe the, the battle of the cat heads and the dog heads in that kind of other world way that he saw it. Um, but it was it was a lot of fun to be able to put those in and work on them, I guess, is, is, yeah. is all I wanted to touch on. Um, I did want to ask you about, before we get into the three speeches, or the four speeches uh, that we uh, talked about and dissected, the big difference between the two greatest threats in this whole saga, which is the cat heads and the dog heads, as we talked about, and we build up and build up the release of them throughout the first and second and, and third episode. Um, and then the the people who come to save them are the two of the Danon. And the big contrast between them, this kind of mythic embodiment of, of what it is to be a spiritual being and this vicious aspect of monstrous intelligence or something. Mm. What? It, was like, it was it was quite fun because the cat heads and the dog heads, like um you know, I did I did a lot more writing of stuff than I usually do in this podcast because, like, in terms of actually writing the pieces, uh, writing the speeches out as pieces of 
dialogue as as bits of writing um and like thinking of the cat heads and the dog heads uh you know i voiced the cat head and oshin voiced the dog head mind you he did call us he did call me up and say is this dog headed warrior going to speak again because i'm sick at the moment and i can do it really hoarse and low right now but i won't be able to do that again <laughs> which is why that dog head sounds so inhuman <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why he's so growly um but like yeah i it was kind of i had a little think about cats and dogs and how they might fight and i was like well a cat-headed warrior is going to sound like this because that's how cats kill things is like slowly and torturously and they, yeah. they don't and they think dogs kill things is like it's all pack tactics and like fucking tearing things apart as they go down um so and then when it came to to the king of the two of the Danon and Bob Darug and like yeah looking at you know because I think that was a really interesting thing because we did it structurally in terms of like paralleling the quest to go and get the two of the Danon to come and fight with the main narrative because otherwise it felt like it went on for too long. And I think mm. that worked really well structurally. But I thought it was really interesting to kind of dig in a little bit into like why the two Adidanan were so reluctant. And then also why they ultimately joined the battle. And like that's the thing that you see in the Book of Invasions. And that's the thing that you see over and over again in Irish mythology is that there is no such thing as like a pure Irish person. Irish people are people who come from somewhere else. And they're Irish because they live here. And like, you know, you, you, that's, that is a consistent through line in all of Irish mythology. Um, and so, you know, you get it through the Book of Invasions. And so that was kind of, I thought that was a really interesting perspective for Bob Darug to be coming at it from. Because also these are, these are people who seem to live for a very long time. So this is someone who's seen invasions and someone who's seen the different waves come to Ireland and someone who's like, okay, but like new people come all the time. So what? It's not taking anything away from us. And then yeah. have it kind of, that was also one of the reasons why we had to kind of go into lean so hard on the dog heads and the cat heads as inhuman and monstrous and like pure destructive force. Because it had to be a case of like, no, nobody is coming here to settle. Nobody is coming here to live. People are coming here destroy. to destroy the place. This is, a, this is an annihilation. This is not a conquest. Because it's that kind of thing of like, if, people, if new people come to an island, they will settle. They will eventually become as Irish as anybody who's lived here for generations. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. how being a human works. Um, but but it, there is a difference in um, oh dear there's something going on with the stream okay oh dear for how well, long listen we'll keep we'll keep talking because I'm I'm uh, recording this and hopefully you're recording this so if it stalls out for a second it'll hopefully come back um, apologies to anyone listening back on this as a po as a podcast we are trying to live stream these every every uh week as a post show and you know you know we can just edit out the dead air <laughs> right for like the podcast broadcast um and are so are you still there oh uh, sorry we catched okay we're good I'm not still um, there but i'm back 
did you glitch? I don't know what happened there. Yeah, my Wi-Fi seems to have cut out uh, completely. So I just went on to phone hotspot uh, and phone data and hopefully the YouTube is, I think, resuming now. Uh, yeah. Uh, listen. Hello. I'm recording. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah. Um, I can see it's swirling. Um, all right. Yes, uh, technical difficulties, Jasper has noticed. Uh, yeah, we'll just type that in there. I just did. <laughs> oh. There you go. You did indeed. You did. Uh, things are reconnecting, and hopefully we'll be back up in a moment. Did some great strange voices. Uh, you should tell Joy that he'll he fit it into your presentation of the mythic. Yeah, I, we could do that. <laughs> Jasper said to blame it on the planets or the full moon, which I, I'm I'm sure we can do. I don't know. I don't know why it's their fault, but it's their fault. Um. Still have a little bit of a scrolly wheel. Oh. I don't really know how to do that, that. Okay, I think we're back. I think we've... Um, okay, cool. Um, we're oh yeah, we were talking about Bove Barag and we were talking about the Tua de Danon and kind of characters that are... Um, and if, we, if the YouTube stream is not going to work, let's just finish the conversation and we'll put the audio only podcast out as soon as we're able to because uh, sure, sure. Um, stop so, in the middle of, of course of no, no no of course not so yeah i guess this was the difference between the two of the dan and the cadets and the first big speech that you kind of focused on writing which was a beautiful speech and it was one of those things that struck us when we tell the battle of invasions and when we go into what the kind of the, the two a day are and how they managed to like step aside very gracefully and still remain under hill in the three times 50 islands of the other world yet remain kind of attached to Ireland seem to kind of live here belong here and have a kind of a shadow and, and a watch over and in the book like it stops it just goes like um uh all, all he says above Darug is to the messenger is oh you're a good messenger once he kind of delivers that message of you know they need us they're not gonna stay so we had to we had to fill in a bit more of a uh a block there an explanation a proper uh dissect what could have been and would have been said in that position and uh, explore it and I, I think that was one of my first kind of uh, favorite bits anyway first favorite bits um always that both Darug speech and again making it some way eerie and ethereal it ended up being a bit of a Lord, Lord of the Ring voice but it was it was still fun to do um, and I, I guess the, to, to, the book again shows the warriors of the Tudodan fighting the uh, catheads and dogheads much like the rest of the battles are, are fought out and played out and it describes the lineages of all the people who are, but in we, we decided it would be kind of more interesting if that happened off screen. So it were. Yeah, we decided to put them behind the mist because it felt like 
again, it was to avoid that kind of sense of repetition because it's a, it's a cool fight, but it's like cool fight among many. And, you know, we've talked about potentially kind of at some point we, we, we have some, uh, I guess, almost outtake stories that we could record separately and, uh, and put up as, you know, the little episodes of these different battles that do happen, um, which is a, you know, it's future of this problems. Um, but, but yeah, right after that, that was a that was a fun speech to write. But yeah, right after that, right after that, chronologically in the nar- narrative, we have Fionn facing the catheads and dogheads mm-hmm. and trying to rile up the Fena to fight and to live and survive. And they're all like, "We're we're gonna die. We're gonna be destroyed. No one's gonna remember. No one's gonna be here to remember the the." bards and the druids they're all going to get ripped apart there's not even going to be a survivor to tell this story and then you came up with the forgotten hero speech yeah that was nice well like i was thinking of it in terms of um i was actually thinking of it very much in terms of what's going on in the states right now and like the the not just the black lives matter movement but the legacy of slavery and colonialism um more broadly because that's one of the huge traumas is is the is the loss of the story and the loss of the history and the loss of your people um you know when when someone is is ripped out of their own home and not even left their name or their language uh that's a that's a lasting trauma and that's a that's a generational trauma and i was kind of thinking about it in terms of like you know, also in terms of some of the work that, that's been done with her story and like, you know, recovering forgotten stories, particularly of women, but like, you know, other marginalized people as well, because we sometimes think that we invent, um, you know, standing up for your rights or that we have invented, uh, you know, certain kind of movements for justice or, or insistence on the humanity of certain people because we don't hear the stories in history of people who've done that before. But of course there have always been people fighting for their own rights and for their, the recognition of their humanity. And so that's kind of what I wanted to, to think through in a mythic sense was like, you know, we don't hear the stories of all of the people who stood up and fought against you know, those who were trying to dehumanize them. We don't hear the stories because the people who, um, people who killed them killed their stories as well. And that struck me as both incredibly sad and incredibly powerful, potentially. Like this idea that those actions, those struggles, those, uh, the stands that people take for justice, for humanity, for equality, that they don't actually go away, but that they're kind of become part of our, almost like our collective unconscious or our dream Mm. of the world. Um, and, And so that was where the forgotten hero thing came from. And it seemed like just a perfect, a perfect opportunity to put it in the mouth of Fionn McCool. Yeah. As someone who has the wisdom to understand that anyway, 
and to mm-hmm. kind of say like yeah we can fight and die and be absolutely annihilated and be completely forgotten and never remember it ever and it's still worth doing um, yeah. and it and it kind of like that idea then of like you're actually tapping into uh, uh, all of the people who've done that before and all of the people who will do that in the future yeah, that's, that's such a beautiful idea because like no matter how much is written down and how much history is done, you can never really fully comprehend the amount of struggles that have ever gone on that, like that, especially like, so I know you, I, I, I knew some kind of current affairs of Black Lives Matter and what's going on in America, but also what rang so true to me was the colonialism of, of Ireland and how uh, you know, so many fights. There's so many rebellions that were failed, and we we only know a, a fraction of them. And you know, mm-hmm. our 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 story of why there's O'Hagertigs and our family name Donna Cork is because we came from Donegal for the Battle of Kinsale in 1600s. Mm-hmm. You know, like and that's and, one of the failed like, battles. Anywhere that you go in the world, anywhere that you oh, go yeah. in the world, you go to you go to North America, you go to South America. You know, there were indigenous uprisings, there were battles fought, there were slave rebellions, there were like any part of the world in, in Africa, in Asia, in East Asia, like anywhere in the world that you go, this stuff has happened where people have said, this is not right, I'm going to stand up to it. And they've been completely annihilated and their names have been burned out of history and nobody remembers them. So like. It's something that definitely is part of our history in Ireland, but I think it's also part of the history of humanity. Absolutely, um, yeah. That there are, these, there are these forgotten heroes everywhere in the world. And like, they're all of our ancestors, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, they've paved the way, they've certainly... They have, and and, and it's, it's a really weird one because it's kind of like, well, how can they have paved the way if we don't remember them? And it's like, yeah, but we do remember them. We, all, we remember them whenever we have that instinct of like, this isn't fucking right and I'm not going to yeah. stand for it. Yeah. You know, that is, that is drawing on a resonance that has been built up for millennia by people going, no, this is not okay. And, and, and like, no matter what culture you're in, like I, I was down in Dingle this summer and I heard the story of uh, the guy, I was down in Kenmare and had, you know, found basically called the bay a river so that he could because rivers could be taxed and fishing in the sea couldn't and i was in a kayak with my girlfriend on a little kayak tour going around the islands and i was so angry i just like something came over me like i wanted to i i would have fucking marched head into battle i would have fucking just drummed up i was i was alive with the anger and like it wasn't my anger it was something that was steeped in the air it was steeped in the land i was on a fucking boat and I could just but see I, the trauma and the hurt and the, the resilience yeah. of all of that history fucking in the ether and it was something mystic in, and it was something not fucking in the land. quite understanding but like you get you get that in the folklore of Ireland as well you get that in the hungry grass like there's patches of grass in Ireland where you step on them and you so overcome with weakness you have to lie down and it is it is that is the memory of the famine that is held in the land and so there is this thing of like, you know, the energies of these, of these conflicts and these, these traumas and these pains are still, you know, they're persistent and they're around and they're in our, they're in our kind of collective memory. 
And that's why you need these stories in some sort of way to tap into the collective. Even if you've no experience of that yourself, you need, you need this story to have some form of cathartic release and connection to that feeling. Because I think you can come through it. You can feel it. You can feel it brimming. It's why we watch movies about war. It's why we get so passionate and so tearful when that happens and it's why we listen to these stories and we want we need that message to be made as well and why it's so powerful and that, like, that was one of the most powerful bits i thought uh, mm-hmm. you wrote i put my voice to but um i just thought it was it was um a very nice bit of writing as was definitely me trying to pick up on something that is around at the moment uh and something that's going on at the moment and like i think to articulate that feeling for people sure. who haven't experienced directly to, sure. to articulate it. Um, um, something you articulated very interestingly, uh, which is not often articulated from a female perspective. And I know you and my brother get into fantastic debates <laughs> about femininity and the patriarchy and what is the patriarchy anyway and Toscana masculinity and time, which isn't a huge one and not, not a very popular one to be talking about but Ogarmuk is the greatest woman in the world she's the greatest warrior in the world potentially and she gets gifted the crown of the king of the world because the prophecy said that the next king of the world will be a woman and we know in Irish there is no word for um queen it's just a banri a woman well king. there is a word so the for next queen, but it, woman, it means woman king <laughs> I mean, but yeah, sorry. That's, <laughs> it, it, it quite literally translates as woman king. That's what I trying to say. No, yeah. Shut up, Sarika. Don't, don't be a dick. <laughs> so, Ogarmuk is gifted, is gifted this uh, basic uh, bit of power, is, is gifted the king, king's crown, and she puts but- it on. And you have a bit of a tirade here, and you, you give a, an interesting perspective to a hate-filled woman who's given power i mean this was this was me kind of trying to articulate the other side of you know these movements for justice because and i think there's a there's a real fear that is inspired by you know people getting angry and shouting for justice and i think i wanted to give voice to somebody who was um everything that is feared because you know this is a thing that can happen uh, when power moves and changes. And you see it, you saw it in the French Revolution, you know, with the reign of terror, where when someone who has been oppressed or is a member of a group that has been oppressed for a really long time gets into power, sometimes the temptation is to go, all right, all you motherfuckers who did me wrong, you are up against the wall. Heads will fucking roll. And so I really wanted to give Ogaramuk the kind of toxic femininity thing, as I was calling it. It's not really entirely that, but like just this idea of like what would happen if you put someone in charge of the world who is from any kind of oppressed or marginalized group who is living in that rage. And what would happen is exactly the same thing that's happening now, just flipped. Just flipped, yeah. And, and, there's and therefore, no nobody would be better off. Nothing would really change. Everything would go on as it has been before. It's just who's on top and who's on bottom would be different. And like, 
thinking about you know the divine masculine and the divine feminine and and the the kind of healing that needs to take place in there in in all of us in in rebalancing those kinds of energies i really wanted to give a kind of a like this is not the way <laughs> yeah yeah well it was interesting because i think your uh, discussion with um the woman who uh, does or started um her story with Mel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mel. We had been talking about toxic femininity as kind of like, you know, if there's a toxic masculinity, there's a toxic femininity. And if there's a if there's an expansive and aware masculinity, there is also an expansive and aware femininity. And like it's really important to recognize that like any of those energies can go bad. And actually the, the big insight that that she uh, was describing to me was the necessity of transmuting your rage, of actually allowing that emotion to allowing the energy of that to, to lift you up rather than to get stuck in it. Because if you get stuck mm. in the rage, you don't get anywhere. You just continue to shout and be angry and fight. And you'll always find somebody to fight well, with. Well, I remember, I remember I was at a rally for the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the abortion appeal in Ireland a few years ago. And repeal the 8th. Um, and there was a, a, a woman speaking and there was a few people kind of standing up in, in, in Dublin and, and speaking and a, a guy stood up and a woman shouted, um, uh, get down, no men here, doesn't concern you. And like, you know, it was, it was a typical point of like, I think it does though. I think it kind of does. does. Like, I think if you exclude men from that conversation, you're just, you yeah, you're, you're, you're perpetuating the same structure was kind of the point that I was trying to get at through Ogaramuk was like, here's a woman who's like, fantastic, I'm finally in charge. Right, men, you are now non-people because you did it to me, therefore I'm doing it to you. And it's that kind of cycle of violence thing of like, you know, the idea of justice as, as revenge, you know, justice is retribution. Oof. If you did something wrong to me, I'm going to do it wrong to you. Yeah. And I'm going to do it worse to you because now I'm the one in charge. And I really wanted to kind of like articulate that because I think there's a sort of, um, I didn't want her to feel like a tragic character. I didn't want Ogaramuk's death to be, because there's, there's a, there's a kind of a, you know, we often in the, in the show that we have made of Dermot and Gronje and, and of Eachtuk, the daughter of Dermot and Gronje, who's kind of the next successor of the Fianna who's cut down tragically and too young, um, that feels like a tragedy because that feels like here's someone yeah. who might have transmuted her rage and gone on to, to be actually the next leader of the Fianna. Um, and I didn't want Ogaramuk to feel like Eoktuk, uh, because even though it's quite a similar thing of like, here's this like amazing female warrior who goes one-on-one -on -one with John McCool and he barely gets out of it with his skin intact. Um, so I thought it was kind of important to to make her, yeah, not not tragic, uh, and to give her to let her give sure. voice to that kind of like vengeance based mindset of like, well, when I'm in charge, the first thing I'm going to do is fuck up everybody who looked at me sideways, which is like well, importantly as as well, uh, yeah, importantly as well, we like in from a narrative point of view, we have to. Well, we, we want to let the, and the listener 
see uh, and have more empathy with Fionn and the side of the Fianna. And so we we were essentially making a villain out of this yeah. potential uh, great woman leader. Um, so there's that side to it as, as well. She, but there's she's not wildly characterized. She doesn't get a huge amount of characterization in, in the text that we were going off. So exactly. it was yeah, it was yeah. a little bit of a blank space for us to project into, as a lot of this stuff is. And that was and, that I decided to fill it up with. Yeah, no, that was, and, and then we had the the final little bit from John McCool, which was the chance. <laughs> well, well, right after Fionn kills this lady, uh, we have the the crown of the king of the world gone into the ocean, and it's dropped, and we'll never see it again. Or it's in the hands of, as you said, Manon McClear, and Fionn kind of delivers that last that last speech and we did an awful lot of writing between the between all of the all of these sections but i left those bits of speeches run right, right up to you because you <laughs> all those things fairness, it was like fion makes a cool speech <laughs> what does he say exactly <laughs> i'll say it but what does he say <laughs> i'll read it out but tell me what he says i mean we'll bounce the idea around but you'll just yeah. nail it down that bit better. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed having the opportunity to do that kind of writing. It was great fun. Um, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, again, it was kind of like, well, if Ogaramok is the is the kind of the the toxic side of that of like somebody who's still very much within their rage, then who is the queen of the world, or who is the next king of the world? And and I think that was kind of a moment for Fionn to be able to be like, all right, the next king of the world this is the kind of person she's going to be. Um, and that was kind of me just writing, this is who I think the queen of the world should be. Um, is she in New Zealand? And whenever she turns up. New Zealand? I, I think, I think, I think that model of leadership is exactly what the world needs. You know what I mean? Like, I don't... <laughs> That that lady is a queen. She's definitely definitely a queen. Um, and and but I think it's a, it's a really interesting one of like you know this is a it's a different way of leading, isn't it? And it's a way of leading that we are seeing more and more of in the world, and that I think we need more and more of in the world. Um, Again, I like that idea of like having it the divine feminine and the divine masculine, and not necessarily genderizing that, like yeah. the energy of care and nurture as well as strength and resilience like they're not necessarily genderized they don't have to be genderized they can actually be in either gender and but as long as they're the the positive spec end yep. of the spectrum yeah um, because it's a funny thing of like you don't you don't get the toxic the the toxicity in both comes from the rejection of the other you know, when you get like what Mel describes as, as toxic femininity is the real kind of passive aggressive, like cruelty that women can get into. And it, it comes from rejecting any kind of direct confrontation, which is, you know, associated with masculinity and with, and with you know, masculine, a more kind of masculine energy. And, and similarly, you know, when, when we get into really rejecting um, any kind of softness as, as weakness, you get into that kind of toxic masculinity. Because actually Ogaramuk is much more in the masculine energy than she is in the feminine energy anyway. 
Um, she's she's the kind of woman who who gets to power by being by outmanning the men. Um, you know, she's a she's a Maggie Thatcher type where she's like, I'll be an iron lady. Like she's described as being iron. She's described as being as hard as iron. Um, and it is that kind of thing of like, you, uh, obvi- you know, men can be men can be feminine, women can be masculine. She's a very masculine woman, um, and that's how she gets her power in a man's world is by leaning right into the masculinity and cutting off any kind of softness in herself. Uh, so yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting to to envision a king of the world who is able to transcend all of that. Can't remember what I wrote now, but I'm sure it was good. <laughs> well, it was also it was also just a nice way to leave leave the entire saga of death and war and destruction and on a positive note of like we, when this ideal is is there, the the world will be at a time when they can accept a woman that is nurturing and is caring or, or that and that, that that's that's often what like one of the um the things I, I have about when people give out about a leader I'm like yeah well you know the people in the democracy elected that person because maybe the people in this democracy are at a certain level of development that they haven't gone through yet to evolve maybe into uh, a, a more profound leader you know, they may need this fucking awful leadership until they can, I don't know. Until, until they realise that actually that they allowed this. Uh, yeah. So something they allowed to happen and, and manifest it and, and get rid of it. It was, it was a nice way to leave that on a bit of a positive that we are all continuously evolving. It all It is all continuously going light and dark and swirling and, and going in a gradual positive spiral as I like to think of it and uh, I think the last thing we need to mention in this whole post-show podcast because this is now coming to an end we've gone over our hour but we're well over our hour but is okay. the music you, which you was stopped, developed stopped and, streaming us half an hour ago I think um oh has been anyway well Apologies, Ubers, but we will try and sort that out and if you are uh, listening to us again we want to just Thank you very much for tuning in. Oshin Ryan was the editor and uh, the creator of all the sounds, soundscapes, music, foley, and some of the voices on the podcast. So not only a big bull of us to him, but with this is our and redeveloping, uh, be playing with more sounds and stuff like that as well as we go. And this was kind of like a baptism of fire for Oshin in lots of ways of how to piece together this uh, monstrous thing and he managed it with a great job in fairness to him so we're going to be doing more um slightly less elaborate uh, podcasts but more podcasts yeah coming to you very soon and, we'll be, we'll uh, be kind we'll, of getting back to our regular hopefully once a week podcast uh that with this and this is going to be our new time for the post show chat it'll be it'll be here on youtube it'll be seven o'clock on a sunday evening um that's that's going to be the rhythm for for the for the next for the Irish time and you can always listen in uh, in your own time hopefully yeah. the glitches on youtube will be fixed and we'll sort that out and if you have been listening and enjoying these podcasts do reach out and let us know we've had some great feedback and thank you all so much for reaching out and telling us you listen to them and it's been really heartwarming to hear some people abroad thank us and tell us that during lockdown when 
they were a little bit feeling nostalgic for Ireland and Irish stories. They were listening to our podcast. Love it. We're praise junkies. We like being praised. Just give us and nice little virtual pats on the head and tell us we're great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and thank you very much for sharing it with your friends. Uh, I'm off to post a few t-shirts to people who've ordered them. The t-shirt link will be going up on our a website soon enough as well so if you want to get a t-shirt with our logo on it you can do so <laughs> that's enough of, of that kind of stuff and uh, as always if you want to go to patreon.com forward slash candle tales to throw us a few quid you can do there'll be more extra content released up there and is there anything else i forgot Sarka? i don't think so uh keep an eye on all the social media stuff because we'll be announcing some stuff soon um because we have we have we have ideas, some of which are now plans and that are going to be put into action soon. We also have many ideas that are far away from being plans. So, you know, keep an eye on all our social media because we will be updating people on what we're up, what we're up to and what we're at. And uh, yeah, thanks a million for tuning in. If you want to... with us. Thanks a million for tuning in and Sloan. All right. See you. You. This podcast was produced and edited by Oshin Ryan. You can find out more about us on our website, candlelittales.ie. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Candlelit Tales. And for videos and live streams, like and subscribe to our Candlelit Tales YouTube channel, which now has a Candlelit Tales for Kids playlist. Hashtag CandleLittleTales. Go ahead and hit subscribe to the YouTube channel. Liking and subscribing to our channels really helps us grow and get to more people. But if you're able to give us some more direct support, you can chip in a few bob at patreon.com forward slash candlelittales or make a one-time donation through the PayPal button on our website. And do subscribe now. It's free. We would also really like to hear back from you with any questions you may have. So please contact us directly or leave your question in the comment section below. Because what we really want to do is get these stories out there, share them with as many people as possible so anything you can do to help, we really appreciate. And we especially appreciate you listening.